Yeah, thanks for the intro there, Mike. If we haven't met, my name is Andy. Uh, me and my wife here serve on uh, the eldership team uh, of this amazing church. And I've got to say again, I know I say this every time I'm able to get up and speak here, but it's amazing to be here with you um, tonight and this morning with you virtually uh, online there on Sunday morning. Um, today's a cool, or this week is a cool week for us at Oceanside Church. Um, how many of you have been doing the 2020 challenge uh, with Mark and Dan there online? You might recognize one of these Bibles, um, but this is a chronological Bible. You heard about it in the booth. We've got some still, I think we've got, how many do we have left there? We've got four left at the back. They're selling like hotcakes. Um, but we're doing this, we're, this is a chronological Bible, and this week, the 2020 challenge hit the New Testament. Who's felt like... 2020 has been a long year. Yeah, well, we're just now hitting the New Testament. Things are looking up from here on out. And uh, it's actually sweet as I was, as I, whenever I get up to preach, I always have a look and, and delve in to see where 2020 is at and the amazing people that are following along with that online and just see it. And I thought, I cannot turn up the opportunity to, to sort of steal Mark's thunder where they're going to be sort of online on Monday and, and herald it in for us uh, this evening and this morning online. Does that sound good? Sweet. I'm not going to steal much, just the chapter one. I promise, Mark, I won't do more than that. But I hope to make you proud here today. And it was so cool, yeah, just starting that reading. Uh, and I just want to encourage you the, the, uh, today, like if you haven't launched in, uh, the New Testament just started on Thursday. And if you don't have one of these Bibles, you can grab the PDF version online at oceansidechurch.ca forward slash 2020. Um, and then you can order your book. And once it arrives, then you can follow along in the book. You'll definitely want the book because you'll be jumping around all over the place if you don't have this one. Anyway, so Matthew chapter 1, if you started off the 2020 on Thursday, one of the first things you would have read um, is, is Matthew saying this, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And then the first thing you got to do is read a couple pages of a genealogy. Sounds great, right? Well, we, most of us don't get excited about genealogies unless you're really nerdy, but what I was interested in as I was looking at this and how it begins, um, I had one person just talk about those very first few words that Matthew writes in the first few words of the New Testament. In the Greek, which is the language that they spoke around that time, it says, Biblos, Geneseus, Iesus, Christos. Who can tell me what that means? Nobody, maybe. Oh, well, yeah, you got your Bible open there. You can probably say what it means. But really just four words in there immediately herald in the New Testament. Biblos, who can take a guess at what that means? It means Bible or book and Genesis. What does that sound like? Genesis. I'm like, hang on. Okay, I thought we just started the New Testament. But here, Matthew is actually referring back to Genesis. Now, if you were a first century Jewish person who had just turned up to hear one of these strange disciples of Jesus Christ read out the new uh, book that Matthew had written, one of Jesus' disciples, that would have caught your attention. Because around that time when you read your Bible, which was the Torah, your Bible would have started exactly the same, Biblos Geneseus. So you would be like, what is going on here? 
you were, maybe would have turned to the person next to you and said, okay, what is this new beginning? As we know, Genesis means origins. It means beginnings. And what Matthew was saying here is he was making a reflection on the book of Genesis and then he immediately followed up with Jesus Christos. Who can take a guess of what that means? Jesus Christ. So I think what they would have heard a bit more than maybe what our translations say is that what the new disciples were getting at is that there was something as significant as the book of Genesis is to Judaism, something as significant was about to happen and was about to be told in the pages that were to come. To a first century Jewish person, that would be quite a way to open a book because they would know what Matthew was getting at. The two words, or some translators, um, there's two translations, they're not common ones, but two translations actually translate that first section like this. It says, the book of the new Genesis wrought by Jesus Christ. And if you know that word Christ as well for us and for, for the Jewish people, that would have been talking about the Messiah. And if you've been uh, watching along with, with Mark and Dan and reading through the whole Old Testament here, the majority of the book that you would have read through just now, you would have known that especially in the Psalms and the prophets, they were constantly on the lookout for this new person, this, this new thing, this Messiah that was going to save Israel, rescue the Jewish people, and completely turn the world upside down from what it currently looked like. And in the Old Testament, we know that it's this never-ending search of the people of God not quite making it into the promises that, uh, that, that God had said, or, 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 or getting there, or looking for the perfect king. But time and time again, they, they, they couldn't hold on to um, what they'd had. And Matthew is saying here that the Messiah is here. And he goes by the name Jesus. Nothing short of a new Genesis, a new beginning, chapter 2 for the cosmos. And the people there, they were searching and searching and searching. Again, the, the, the 2020 challenge, they just posted uh, Mark's um, class from a couple years ago where he talked about the 400 years that took place between the Old Testament and the New Testament happening. Can you imagine being called the people of God and God not speaking for 400 years? Who knows what it was like to be a first century Jew around that time? What is God up to? And Matthew was clanging the bell, something is happening. I think, you know, just like Israel was searching, I think the world has been searching for a Messiah ever since as well. Obviously, we as Christians believe he's come, and Matthew, as Matthew tells us, his name is Jesus. But all throughout human history, we've been on the road, we've been on the search for the healing of our land, for that person or that thing or that idea or that progress that brings us into enlightenment, that brings us into the promised land, that makes us perfect. We all recognize that something is wrong for the world, and we've all been searching ever since for different ways to make that happen. If you know your history... Um, I have to look it all up because I was asleep during history class. But in the 17th and 18th centuries, there was something, if we look back, we call that the Enlightenment. 
And that was an amazing thing that happened in Europe where science was taking off, different thoughts on God was taking off, on arts, on all these things. If we look back at those centuries, it's where, where we get our sciences from, where we get, and that's why they call it the Enlightenment. And that's where we get our worldviews from today. Those things, those thoughts about nature, reality, humanity were synthesized into a worldview, and we've grown up in that as well. And a very interesting thing started to happen around that time, and we live in sort of the, the repercussions of that today. Humanity went from thinking that we were inherently bad, which we know if we're Christians, we know that we're born sinful, we know that we're born with something wrong. Humanity went from thinking we're inherently bad to maybe, you know, we're inherently good and we just need to figure it out ourselves. We, you know, after the Enlightenment, the majority of the world or the majority of the West doesn't believe in original sin anymore. And the West went from Jesus is the Messiah to we are the Messiah or we'll find the thing. One philosopher said in the, uh, just at the end of the 19th century, he said, God is dead and we killed him. He was talking about the Enlightenment. And what pursued after that in the 20th century was the bloodiest century that had ever happened, along with some of those thoughts. Now for us, luckily, the world's not so bloody anymore. It might seem, seem like it on the TV sometimes, but actually we're living in, in an age of peace and prosperity in most things. And I grew up as a millennial. Who else is a millennial here today? Maybe you don't, Mike's got his hand up. I'd hate to break it to you, Mike. I'm not sure. Baby boomer? Okay. okay. But for my generation, I was born in the late 80s, and I remember as, uh, as an early teenager and on into my early 20s being he inherently positive about the world. I grew up in a church, and I, I knew about the book of Revelation. I didn't read it much because it just felt bizarre for where we were going as a people. You know, if you're, if you're a millennial, you grew up in the age of sort of the computer coming into the home. You grew up in amazing technological advances. We grew up with the internet. You know, we first did with the dial-up internet, but we grew up with that, and we saw it come to life. We saw before it, and we saw after it as well. And I remember as a kid just thinking, wow, humanity, nothing can stop us. I, I see the book of Revelation, but... Surely that's not going to be where we're going to go because we are just getting better and better and better and better. And isn't that the thought? That's the thought. That's that worldview of the Enlightenment affecting me as I grew up. Now, today, my thoughts on humanity are vastly different. As I've just, not just, it's been a couple of years, I've entered my 30s. Suddenly, some of those thoughts that I held as a teenager, as I just looked upon the world and looked at Steve Jobs strolling around the stage on it with his turtleneck and just, wow, all these things are possible, something has broken in recent times that makes me think, hang on, I was wrong about humanity and all the good that we were doing. Indeed, the promise of maybe some of the other, some of the 30-somethings is now gone. And we assumed, like most of the progressive world, that the world would just get a little bit lefter, a little bit more progressive. You know, we would just get a little bit more um, money, and we would take care of people a little more, and then we would inherently just fix the world, and we'd end up in this utopian state where we would just get better and better and better. 
And in the light of 2020, not just the pandemic, obviously, that's got nothing to do with it, but in the light of what we see today, those thoughts of mine that I grew up with stand in shatters, really. Today's society seems more divided than ever. We built this amazing thing called social media. Who's seen that new documentary? I think it's called The Social Dilemma on Netflix. If you haven't seen it, I would say see it. It's really interesting about this thing called social media that we built that came alive in the early 2000s that we're all so excited to see. And now the problems that's that created in our world today. It's like our new Tower of Babel, the social network, except our bubbles have turned into those echo chambers where it's where the people on the other side of our political views now seem like they're talking a foreign language. The thing that was supposed to make humanity come together, the internet and being connected to one another, has in some ways pushed us further apart more than ever. And it's apparent that the world is searching and searching and searching and every little thing. We know that the, the things that are happening in, the tw in 2020, people are searching and so adamant that they've found the way forward and your way is wrong and my way is right. We found the way forward, follow us. But the other side is, feels like they found the way forward too. Israel was always, again, like I said, on the cusp of entering into some of those promises, always on the edge of finding that perfect king. But time and time again, man let them down. And I think as a first century Jew, if you looked back along your history, um, you would see that constantly God is trying to do something, but man messes it up somehow. Isn't that indeed what happened in the Garden of Eden? It doesn't take a, a big heavyweight Bible scholar long to see the main issue. It's us and it's every one of us. Except our world doesn't believe that today. Our world believes I'm right and you're wrong. In the Old Testament, in a, in a book called Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 17.9, the writer says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's a very different thing from our worldview today. And if you were a Jew in Jesus' time, there was no escaping that truth. About two-thirds of your brothers, Jewish brothers and sisters never came back from exile. They sort of stayed uh, in Babylon in the surrounding areas. And since then, it would have been occupation after occupation after military occupation. And then they were under the Romans, as we know. Matthew, starting out his book, Biblos, Geneseus, Jesus, Christus, is, he started that way because that's what they needed, and that's what had finally come to the world. The new Genesis, the Messiah that can actually take us forward, is finally here. There's another, orig there's another New Testament uh, origin story that, that mirrors Genesis as well when I was reading who knows the very first words of Genesis? What does it say? In the beginning. Who said that? Gold star. Um, we don't have any prizes for you. Sorry, it's not Sunday school. But yes, in the beginning. And John, one of Jesus' arguably his best friend and his loved disciple, started his writing out like that. 
And I believe he was doing the same thing to those, new, to those people around him at the time. He was saying the same thing in the beginning. Let's go back and let's examine this. So let's read. If you've got your Bibles here today, bring them out. Let's, let's whip them out and let's turn to John 1. It says this from the, from the 2020 Bible in the NLT. It says, in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him. And nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created. And his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. If you know something about what what John the writer is talking about there, he's actually saying the word is Jesus. Because in, in verse 14, just skipping down there, he says this, so the word, that thing I was just talking about that was with God and created everything with God, so the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory The glory of the Father's one and only Son. Isn't that amazing? The Word, the God, the God's Son who was with God when he created the world became flesh. This isn't new for us. But I I think the writer was saying God created life and everything through Jesus. And now the darkness cannot squish this Messiah Something is completely different about this person who's come along. God has walked among us, and we hadn't a clue. We rejected and killed him, but when he rose again, he gave us the right to be be reborn. Indeed, we have seen God himself, for we have seen Jesus. In verse 10, it says, He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came into his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believe in him and accept him, he gave the right to become children of God. God, they are reborn, not with physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but from a birth that comes from God. And as I was reading that part, verse 13, they are reborn, that word reborn, just, I couldn't move past it. It got stuck with me at that point. Reborn. It's old news to us, many of us who've been Christians for years maybe, it's old news that we are born again in Jesus Christ. But how easy is it to forget that we are actually reborn from the world around us? I think we need to return to this terminology because it's profound if you think about it. Again, those worldviews that we all grew up with in the West tell us that humanity is going to fix it. Humanity is going to find the way forward. Humanity is going to heal it. Humanity is going to redeem it. But in the first few words that John writes, and is gonna, before he even gets into the story of Jesus, he mentions, actually, we need to be reborn. As a Christian, as I read that, my hope cannot be in anything else except the fact that the world, to be fixed, needs to be born again. The need for rebirth 
is deeply offensive. It might not sound offensive to the face of it. It doesn't sound very offensive to say, oh, I'm a born-again believer of Jesus Christ. There's many of us here today who would say that. But the thought that you need to be reborn is deeply, deeply, deeply offensive to everyone outside these walls in our world. Because our world believes that you are accepted as you are. Actually, how you were created, there's nothing wrong with how you were created. Everything that you feel inside of yourself is valid in some way. And we're going to figure out a way to redeem it and make it right and to reconcile you with man around us. But God says something different. Actually, how we were made is not right. We weren't made perfect. Look at the world around you. It's broken and desolate. We need to be reborn. And in our pursuit sometimes, even as Christians, of come to Jesus and be accepted, sometimes actually we've forgotten about that rebirth, that it's an actual thing. You know, we, we wrestle in the church today, and there's many different churches going de- many different ways on different topics, on sexuality, on... on, on <laughs> okay, why, that, why is that now the only one I can think of? Had a long list before. But, you know, there's many hot-button topics for us as Christians right now. And the truth is, the ones of us that struggle with it, the, 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 if we forget about the need to be reborn, we can't figure it out. We can't move forward. We've become so busy with reconciling God's message to the world, but leaving out the most offensive part is that God actually wants to make you different. God actually wants to make you new. And no, no matter whatever your story, no matter whoever you are, we all have to go through that. I think about that now as a, as a dad. I think I worry a lot. I don't worry a lot. Sometimes I worry about my kids. They're one and a half. I've got a little girl who's one and a half, and I've got a boy who's three and says a lot of funny things. And I, I look at the generation that's come before and that everything that, that people struggle with now, and I wonder about my kids, and I wonder, oh, Lord God, will they struggle with some of the questions that are being asked today? What will they think when they're in their teens? How will they enter their 20s? What will they believe about God and his word? And I got so stuck on the word reborn because, you know, as a parent, you sometimes, you just are, you just feel powerless to lead your kids in those ways. You can't control what their friends say to them. We can't control what culture says to them. You know, culture is banging at the door so loudly, so much that we can't stop it coming through. And God spoke back to me and says, what about this thing of being reborn? Are your kids seeing you be reborn on a daily basis? Are you, are the hang-ups that Andy has, are they being given to God and are they being, being reborn? Is your anger, is that being reborn? Do they see you in certain ways? And I felt like God just speak as a, to us as a church and as a generation that we need to go back to this thing that we are made new in Christ Jesus. Now we know we're not perfect, far from it, and even though we've been reborn, even though we believe that happens when, you put your, your, when you're saved for, in Jesus Christ, we know that we're still in a fallen world. It says in Romans 7 from verse 21, it says, I have this, Paul is, is talking, he says, I've discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. 
who can put their hand up for that. When I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that's in war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, how miserable a person I am. But wait for it. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Verse 25, thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. What Paul was talking about there is the rebirth, the walking with the Spirit that God constantly takes us through. I believe that this is a timely thing for where we're at today. I want to say young people and old activists, and I remember you know, being an age before, some of my spirit got squashed with just the complexity of the world and the hardship of, life, uh, the hardship of, of working out ide- idealistic thoughts. We need to know that the world will only be saved through rebirth and transformation that comes because of Jesus. Yes, we need justice now, and yes, we need equality, and yes, we urgently need to know where our privileges are, because Jesus went quickest towards the underprivileged, underprivileged, those who were outclassed, outcasts, he went there first. So some of those thoughts are good things. But we have to go about it in a way where we talk about being born again. Otherwise, we break people on the way to fix a broken system. And Jesus is the only way. And I want to say, like, Nate did an amazing preach last week. He talked about identity, about of the, out from the Old Testament, looking at the story of Gideon. And one of the things that Nate said, he says that only God has the right to tell you who you are. Church, I believe that the story, the Gospels, the written account of Christ Jesus is extremely important for us today. Because actually everything that Nate said was good, but as well, our identity comes from Christ Jesus. In Romans 8, 29, it says, For God knew his people in advance and chose them to become like his son. We have been chosen to become like Jesus. But how many of us have hung up the, the, the four gospel accounts on the shelf, put it on the shelf, and we've graduated for it, and we said, actually, the gospel stories, some of those things, that's what we teach in Sunday school. That's what we learn when we first become a Christian. I want to say, it's everything to see how Jesus walked with his fellow brother and sister. And so I want to urge you, as a point of urgency, if we're going to see healing in our times, if we're going to see reconciliation between family members, if we're going to see marriages restored, relationships between mothers and daughters, we need to see Jesus. If our eyes aren't on him, our eyes are somewhere else. In Hebrews 12.1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set out before us. Verse 2 says, We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Church, if our eyes aren't on him, if our eyes aren't in the New Testament within those first four accounts, if we're not thinking that those scriptures are important as Matthew and John herald them in and said, this is really important, we're going to miss out on how to live. As our warring cultures 
And I think, I was going to say culture, like we have one culture. No, we have different cultures in our lands. As they war with one another, we need to know our Messiah intimately. If we're to lead the next generation, we need to be radically reborn. And I think it's possible for us. But there's so much distraction in our times. There's so much distraction. We need to come back before God and examine him again. And in him, in his spirit, and it's only by his Holy Spirit that we can come in our imperfections before God and have them redeemed. It's only in his Holy Spirit and by the power of Jesus Christ that we are going to see people reconciled towards one another. I just want to invite Mike up here as we end and perhaps the worship team as well, but I want to challenge you. Join us as we read in the New Testament. There's been so many distractions, and I think, you know, we thought at the beginning of the pandemics, like, oh, we have more time. We, we have more time, and maybe some of us have spent more time with God. But as I speak to those around me, as I, as I call people up or I see people now that we're a little bit more open, I see that actually we've become so, so distracted. And we need to get back to the main thing, which is Jesus coming. The new Genesis is here. Do the people out there know it? That there is new life? That this generation is going to lead to the next and the next and the next and we're never going to fix it. But we can only fix it in him. Amen? Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you. If the worship team can come forward. Thanks, Andy. I've just been um, thinking of the scripture, interesting in Hebrews 2, verse 1, speaking of Jesus Christ, it says, we must pay careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so we do not drift away. And drifting away is not a single event, it just happens. You can imagine being in a boat somewhere. Uh, in a bay somewhere and at anchor, and the anchor at night comes, uh, um, falls off or whatever. And you fast asleep in that boat, and slowly but surely, it can drift away without us even knowing it. And you can wake up, maybe you've got into a current and you're in the middle of nowhere, you don't even know where we are. And that's the thing. Um, when we take eyes of Jesus, that's what happens. It happens so quickly to each one of us, and falling away from Jesus Christ is normally not a one-off event. It's a process. And I think even with what Andy has been saying tonight, it's amazing what Jesus said in his first letter to the Ephesians first of the letters to the churches, to the church of Ephesians, of Ephesus in, in Revelation chapter 1. And the main issue he had with them is that we had drifted away, we had forsaken, they had forsaken his first love, their first love. And like I said, I'm sure it just was a process. And the wonderful thing about Jesus Christ um, is when we turn back, He's always there for us. 
And I think that's one of the things I, I picked up in this is God is wanting us to go deeper in an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we're going to worship a little bit more. And if we just bow our heads for a moment. And thank you, Andy, for that word. I've got Hebrews 1 open here. Hebrews 1, 3 says, The sun is a radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word, sustaining you, sustaining I, total in control, never leaves us or forsakes us. And Andy mentioned Hebrews 12, and the way we run this is by keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. And so easy to drift. And I feel the Holy Spirit just drawing us back to Him just for a moment in this time as we still our hearts and as we worship Him to finish the service. So if we could just consider worship or if you'd like to stand. Let's just worship for a while.